This talk was recorded by Insight Meditation South Bay in Mountain View, California. The speaker is Shyla Catherine. For more talks and information, visit www.imsb.org. Tonight's topic is mindfulness with breathing. How do we approach the breath? The breath can actually be used in a variety of ways to enhance mindfulness and to cultivate awareness. Most simply, perhaps, we can calm the mind by observing the breath. It's a wonderful antidote to the restless mind, to the agitated mind, because it's easily available. We're all breathing, right? We don't need any ritual implements. We don't need any special rooms or special seats or special postures or really anything special at all. It's so it's a simple way of learning to settle the attention without the need for complicated techniques. Anytime, any place, we can calm the mind with a few mindful breaths. The breath can be a barometer, a way of assessing and noticing the ripples in our own feelings. We can tune into our moods, our emotions, our feelings and inner states by noticing how the breath changes. How does the breath change with your moods and with your mental state? If we want to calm the mind, say we're agitated, perhaps there's an irritable mood, and we want to just relax a little bit, calm the mind before that mood explodes in anger, then we might turn our attention to the breath and let that calming of the breath calm the body. The breath is a simple way of relaxing into the experience of being present right now, being present and connecting with ourselves, being sensitive to our feelings, and nurturing a compassionate response to our own inner life. We can use the breath to learn to unwind, to release, to let go, to relax, to find comfort and ease in the meditation, to find comfort and ease in the body sitting and breathing. We can use the breath to let go of any of the residual impact that we might be carrying from a previous event, maybe a previous conversation that ended 10 minutes ago, but now I'm talking to somebody else. A few conscious breaths, a few moments of being aware of the in and out breath can help us let go of our response to the past so that we are fresh as we encounter the present. Just now, please observe your breath. Let the attention rest in that simple observation of an in-breath and an out-breath. Letting the breath be comfortable, 
and letting the mind be at ease with the quality of your own breath. We can also consider the breath as a manifestation of what's known as the wind element. In classical Buddhist teachings, the breath is classified as a manifestation of wind, the property of matter that appears as pressure, as pushing or supporting, as movement. Now, breath might be the most obvious example of the wind element in the body during sitting meditation. Well, maybe that is unless you had three bean chili for lunch. We can usually feel the breath as it moves the belly up and down with the in and out breaths. For most people, this breath, this movement of breath, is easier to discern than other aspects of wind in the body, such as the pumping of the blood, the pumping of the heart, the pulse of the blood, the jostling of the organs up against each other, those inner movements, or all the various pressures that are associated with digestion, the gurgling, the swallowing, and the muscular movements of the bowels. Those are all also classified as elements, as aspects of the wind element. But it might be that for most people, the breath is the easiest one, the most consistent and accessible one to be able to rest the attention on and to discern that movement. Of course, other physical movements like reaching and turning and walking and bending are obvious expressions of movement and the property of wind. But in sitting meditation, we're usually not walking or bending or reaching. And when we're sitting still, the breath is still moving the body and is therefore easily discerned. Can you feel the experience of that movement in the body? Do you feel the pressure in the abdomen? The movement of the diaphragm? The expansion of the rib cage? Do you feel that movement only in the front of the body or do you also feel the expansion to the back or the sides? If you're leaning against your chair, do you feel the quality of pressure change with the in-breath or the out-breath in the contact with the chair? How far throughout your body Do you feel the reverberations of breathing? Some people might feel it through the shoulders as the rib cage moves, the shoulder blades move, the shoulders move. Some people might feel an echo of that movement in the head. 
Or perhaps there's a subtle change of pressure where the hands meet the lap. Perhaps you can feel a change in the pelvic area. Does the breath affect the pelvis? Does the breath affect your posture? Notice how the breath affects the body sitting. The breath can also be used as a focal point when we direct our attention to the breath at the nostrils. This is the gateway where the breath enters and exits the body. And focusing on this point of contact where the breath enters and exits the body can help anchor our attention in the present moment. It provides a spatial location to direct our attention, a place where we can focus our minds. We feel or we simply know the breath as an in-breath and as an out-breath as it passes that place around the area of our nostrils or upper lip. Right in the here and now, one breath at a time, we observe the in-breath and we observe the out-breath. Sometimes the counting practices are associated with or are, are linked to observing the breath right there at the nostrils because we just count the breaths that go in and go out. This focal point of concentration focuses the attention on the bare fact that a breath is occurring. It's a rather abstract notion, actually, a breath. And by explicitly taking this bare occurrence as the object of the meditation, which is slightly a different approach than taking the tangible sensations of, say, the, the pressure in the belly or the heat or the coolness. Now I'm suggesting we just take that fact of the breath going in and the fact of the breath coming out. This rather abstract idea of the breath can develop into a very subtle object that can allow the mind to unify in concentration practices. Like a gatekeeper that's posted at the city gates in ancient times, we establish our attention at the gate where the breath enters and exits the body. And we focus our attention there at the nostrils. This tends to quell distracting thoughts that might otherwise pull our attention into stories about the past or fantasies about the future. If we train ourselves to connect with each breath, the in-breath and the out-breath, the long-breath and the short-breath, 
Whenever we lose touch with the here and now, we just simply return to becoming mindful and aware of the very next breath. Without condemning ourselves for, being lo- for having lost our mindfulness and without becoming seduced in still more stories, we discover the breath is right there. It's beckoning us to notice it, to be present, to be awake and aware. Observe the breath entering and exiting the body. Have this clear knowledge of breathing. Another approach to working with the breath is to realize that it is changing. It is utterly impermanent. And because it's impermanent, and because our life depends upon it, it's also a reminder of death, a way of reflecting upon death. As we observe the changing sensations of the breath, we can emphasize the fact that those sensations are changing. We can notice it as impermanent. The sensations of breath are changing. Maybe it's getting hotter. Maybe it's getting cooler. Maybe the pressure is increasing. Maybe the quality of the tingle is changing. Our feelings are changing. Our perceptions, our thoughts are also changing. All that we know is changing with each in-breath and each out-breath. And so each and every breath is a reminder of impermanence. We can reflect upon the breath as a life-sustaining process, a process that is impermanent. Although we're breathing now, at some time, our breathing will stop. We'll breathe our last breath. And this body will then, without breath, be merely a lifeless corpse. The impermanence of the breath can lead us to a skillful and quite powerful recollection of death. Let this contemplation of breath be poignant enough to stir a sense of urgency within us so that we reflect what is really important in our life. What do we really want to do with our life? What is valuable even in the face of death? Can we breathe in knowing this could be our last breath? We never know when death will come. Can we breathe out, practicing letting go Releasing all attachments, letting go. Do your worries, do your fears and personal problems really matter in the face of death? 
all the things the mind gets entangled with, all the things we suffer from, are they so important when we realize death can come at any time? This might be our last breath. And so for a few moments, let's breathe in, reflecting this could be the last breath, and breathe out, letting go, releasing all attachments, all worries, Now, some other meditation traditions might employ breath control exercises. They are powerful ways of calming the mind and inducing concentration. But insight meditation practices discourage breath control. We simply observe the natural breath as it is occurring. We use the breath to tune into the present moment experience here and now. In the Buddha's own life, he practiced rather strong and quite severe breath control practices prior to his awakening, prior to his enlightenment. And he discarded them, saying that they did not lead to awakening. And so he taught a more moderate and a natural practice, encouraging mindful awareness of this mind-body process without distorting the bodily experience, without contriving certain ways of breathing. So for mindfulness and liberation, we let the body breathe naturally. We don't control the length. We don't try to make the in-breath equal to the out-breath or the out-breath longer than the in-breath. We don't control the depth. We don't control the pace. We simply settle the attention on the experience of breathing and we observe it as it occurs. Out of compassion for the people who are sitting next to us, we do check that we're feeling the breath and not listening to the breath. (laughs) And so about the only control that we really bring to the breath is to just check that it's not audible, that nobody would hear it. Usually, if it's audible, it indicates that we are controlling the breath, that we're trying to make it a certain way. 
And so we relax into the breath. We let it be natural. The primary Buddhist teaching on breath meditation is presented in the Anapanasati Sutta and also found in the Anapanasamyutta. Anapana simply is the Pali term for breathing. So these are teachings that are collected on breath, on breathing meditation, breathing instructions. And the Anapanasati Sutta presents a 16-step sequence that's broken up into four tetrads. And in this development of breath, as a meditation object, observing the long breath, observing the short breath, observing the whole breath, tranquilizing the body with the breath, observing the mind, gladdening the mind with the breathing. We go through a 16-part sequence. This develops both deep calm, tranquility and concentration, and also insight, wisdom, letting go. This training sequence offers a comprehensive path of meditation that goes from calming the distracted mind, settling all the hindrances and obstructions, to liberating insight, to release, to non-grasping and clinging. In the Anapanasamyutta, it says, If anyone speaking rightly could say of anything, it is a noble dwelling, a divine dwelling, the Tathagata's dwelling. Tathagata is the way the Buddha referred to himself. It is of concentration by mindfulness of breathing that one could rightly say this. Those who are trainees, who have not attained their mind's ideal, who dwell aspiring for the unsurpassed security from bondage, for them, concentration by mindfulness of breathing, when developed and cultivated, leads to the destruction of the taints. Those bhikkhus who are arhants, fully awakened, whose taints are destroyed, who have lived the holy life, done what had to be done, laid down the burden, reached their own goal, utterly destroyed the fetters of existence, those completely liberated through final knowledge. For them, concentration by mindfulness of breathing, when developed and cultivated, leads to a pleasant dwelling in this very life and to mindfulness and clear comprehension. So mindfulness with breathing here is recommended as a desirable undertaking, as a pleasant dwelling for anyone both learners and accomplished meditators, both the unenlightened and also the enlightened ones, are encouraged to practice mindfulness with breathing. So, do you have any um, comments, questions? I'm particularly interested if you have any practical comments about the way you work with the breath in your meditation practice or any difficulties that you might have had with it, or any um, successes you might have had with it. Judy, please. Isn't it useful to um, know how the diaphragm moves in the breath, so the diaphragm moves up and down as opposed to this up and down. There's this... Yes, very nice. So if you didn't hear, she said she finds it very useful to reflect on how and to know how the diaphragm actually moves 
in the body and to use that as the way that it moves up and down as another access of fluidity in the body. And sometimes in the past when I've talked about the breath, I've actually brought in pictures because we don't always know where the diaphragm actually connects and how it actually functions, and that can be quite helpful. If you just tune into it in your body, you might start to actually notice where the, that muscle connects, where, which, which part of the, uh, of the body in the bones it connects to. Oh, it's beautiful the way you're saying it because you're observing it change. You're letting the body breathe. The body actually knows how to breathe. Okay, it is somewhat voluntary in the sense that we can affect it, but the body doesn't need us to control the breath. We don't have to decide how we're going to breathe. And so we can watch the breath, we can observe the breath, and we can observe in observing the breath, we might also see how our breath changes with our mind, with our mental states. When we're worried about something, the breath might be more shallow. When we're settling in the meditation and feeling very calm, it actually could sometimes be quite shallow because we might need less air, but it might feel more smooth, or it might feel more slow, or it might feel softer rather than a rapid, a rapid breath or a gaspy breath. So we can start to tune into a lot about ourselves just by observing the way the breath naturally is. And let go of the control. We try to control way too much in life. We can let this go. We can let it go. We can practice just letting go. You comment on the practice of taking three deliberate deep breaths to begin the meditation? There's nothing wrong with doing a few deliberate breaths for quite some time in my own practice, especially in daily life. I would like to take it. Sometimes I enjoy taking a few deep breaths, but leave it at just like a few, you know, a three so that the meditation doesn't come bec- become about controlling the breath. We just use the deliberateness of the breathing of three deliberate breaths to focus our attention and to help us let go. Because those practices that the Buddha said don't control the breath, it's not that they're bad practices, they really do help focus the mind. You know, they help develop concentration, but they're not liberating. And if we take them as our primary practice, only doing that, then we won't be developing the nuances of mindfulness that lead to insight. And that has to allow the experience to change. If we're always controlling it, we're not going to be observing it change because we're going to be trying to make it a certain way, which is very different than what Leanne said about just realizing the change, the, uh, the subtlety, the way that the breath responds to the moment. And when you start looking at the breath, you'll discover that no two breaths are the same. They're just not. And so we don't, we don't emphasize those controlling practices. But no, I have no problem with doing a, you know, a, a two, three, four breaths at the beginning to help focus the mind. I wouldn't classify that as mindfulness practice. I'd say that at the first few moments of every meditation, every meditator has to figure out how to get there. You know, how to do it. And some people use a reflection, a thought, an intention, an action. Some people, they like light a candle and that like helps them settle. Some people ring a bell and it helps them get there. Some people do three intentional breaths because we have to disconnect a little bit from what we were just doing 
and when we plunk ourselves down, and three breaths can, are effective for that. Other comments, questions? How do you use the breath? How do you relate to the breath? Are there any difficulties in the way you relate to the breath in your meditation practice? Please. So she's saying that sometimes she falls asleep, she dozes off. Sometimes it doesn't matter then whether it's the breath or another object, sometimes especially if we're meditating and when we're tired, if we're sleep deprived or if we're just stressed or if we're just not used to observing a subtle object like the breath, maybe we're used to much more stimulus. You know, usually in our daily life, for us to notice anything, it's like practically screaming at us. Um, (laughs) And so the breath is subtle. It's not usually screaming at us, so we usually don't bother to notice it. And so when we do bring our attention to it, sometimes it feels boring. What's there to notice? And then when there's nothing to notice, ah, nothing's happening, I think I'll take a nap. (laughs) And the mind tunes out. Or it slides off. For sometimes we go to sleep, sometimes, or that's the dullness, and sometimes it moves to the restlessness thinking, agitated, planning, more things to do. So it's not unusual, and that can happen with any object, not necessarily the breath. But the breath is not the ideal object all the time, nor for every person. Some people find the rhythm of the breath to be (laughs) sleep-inducing, to just be a little too in and out, in and out, And then we soothe ourselves right into a dull state. And so then, if that's the case and we want to work with the mindfulness, use mindfulness with breathing, we just have to intensify the interest to see the change, to bring more intentional engagement with it, maybe a little bit more brightness of the energy, sparking the curiosity, wanting to see something, wanting to catch the beginning of the in-breath. What's the very first sensation? How do you know the transition? What's the difference? Where does the the out-breath end and the new in-breath begin? Where does the in-breath end and the new out-breath begin? You You can kind of increase the aspect of interest in the mind, and that can often dispel a little bit of sleepiness that just came because it was just a little too soothing and repetitious. But sometimes there just isn't enough grip or interest in the mind, and no matter what you do, you just find the breath not very interesting. And and so if you struggle with it for a while, then you might want to emphasize another object like the body and only use the breath when you're already settled and concentrated and have more of the the present factors to, to focus on a subtle object. Um, but it's interesting to me that the breath was recommended. We find it throughout the discourses of the Buddha and to a wide range of people. And so it's not something to discard quickly. So, so it's a wonderful one to work with and to learn uh, to develop a relationship with our own life's breath. Yeah. Please. When you mentioned you're taking a breath as if it were your last, and I actually felt something and it was very precious. Ah. So that, that was amazing. And then, of course, then you have to let go and let that go, too. But, but I got a few moments of that thinking in them of your last breath. 
Oh, lovely. Thank you. So if you didn't hear uh, her here in the back, she's saying that she really sensed something, got something in that practice of observing the in-breath as though it's your last, as though it's your last, and letting go on the out-breath. I've been playing with that quite a bit this past year because um, it's an emphasized practice of a teacher I've been working with. So, And it's quite interesting because it combines the reflection on death with mindfulness, with the breathing. So it's not the classic anapanasati concentration due to mindfulness with breathing, because there we're just using the breath, but it uses the breath combined with the reflection on death, which leads to very obvious reflection of impermanence, perception of impermanence. So I'm also finding it interesting in my own practice to do that. Life, though, when I take that breath, so then, but then it's so precious that first step breath that's life death two sides same coin yeah you don't have one without the other because you don't get the in breath the out breath yeah play with it play with it see what it see where it leads see where it leads any of the reflections on death though should lead to a sense of awake urgency as you're saying of life that we become more conscious of the moment that we have. None of the death practices should lead to depression. <laughs> they all are, to be, when they're successful, they lead to this heightened sense of the precious opportunity that we have right now to be present. Right now. This breath. This in-breath. Don't wait until tomorrow's in-breath to be awake. To be aware. Don't postpone something as important as presence, as wakefulness, as knowledge, as wisdom, as compassion. We don't know if we'll have a tomorrow, but we have this breath right now. Can we be fully present for the life we have moment by moment by moment by moment? That's the trajectory of the recollections of death practices. They heighten the sense of present sense of urgency, the the sense of urgency to be awake, urgent to wake up really matters to us so if you do this breathing in as though I could you know this could be my last breath if you start to get depressed talk to me about it or talk to a teacher or shift to a different practice because it shouldn't focus on on that loss it should heighten that sense of present moment right here right now Um, I've heard a number of people say uh, in doing a breath practice that it evokes anxiety for them. These are people that maybe as a child they had asthma or some breathing difficulty and um, that it's very uncomfortable to do the, the, to turn the attention onto the breath, that it becomes erratic and uncomfortable and unpleasant. So Sharon's saying that she's heard a number of students say that that when they turn the attention to the breath, that sometimes it triggers a sense of anxiety, fear, and they some have had a history of of asthma or difficulties getting the catching their breath or some kind of trauma that's associated with breath. This is true. That's part of why the breath meditation is not suitable for everyone.
Also, there are times when you can't use the breath because it's particularly painful. Like when I was in a car accident and I had some, some rib injuries and I would breathe in and it was like, ah! <laughs> you know, the sharp, sharp stabbing pain of an in-breath. Not a good meditation object. <laughs> we want the breath to be relatively neutral physically and emotionally as a, as a prime, when it's a primary object. So if you do find that the breath triggers a lot of that kind of anxiety, then it might be, again, better to use the body, the posture, the contact with the seat, the floor, use a more tangible object. But again, I wouldn't let go of it too quickly. I've had students who, in the first couple of weeks of their meditation practice, even felt nauseous noticing the breath. But then it passed. And they were able to very successfully relate to their own breath. So it's a, it is an individual. The, the development of your own meditation practice has some individual choices that you make of what's, what's most suitable for you. During this seven-week course, we're going to explore different components of meditation, not always the breath. We'll work with mindfulness of the body. We'll work with feelings. We'll work with other practices. So you'll get a f- um, alternatives as well. It's good sometimes, though, if you do undertake a meditation practice and you feel like, whoa, this is like not working for me. Don't give up on meditation too quickly because it may be that if you speak with a teacher, a slightly different technique or a slightly different way of using that same object could resolve the problems. Please. Can you comment on using a mantra? Okay, so she's asking if I could comment to using a mantra. And... Um, in the Vipassana tradition, we don't use mantras. So it's, again, a mantra is a word, a sound, a, a phrase, a verse that we repeat, and it serves as a concentration object. But it's not part of the um, mindfulness or insight teachings. Again, it's not an object of the mind or body. Insight practices are exploring the nature of the mind and body. How do we perceive things? How do we know things? We're not trying to induce a particular state based upon a particular sound or phrase. So we tend to not produce mantra teachings. If you like to do it, then again, I usually say, you know, those first few minutes of your meditation practice, and you, if you enjoy that and it helps you get there, fine. There's, no, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just not a part of this, pra- this particular practice tradition. Please, in the back. This is actually a very good question. What is the relationship of calming and insight when we work with the breath? Now, I didn't identify the distinctions in this talk because some, quite a few of you are new to meditation, so I wanted this to be relatively introductory. But I did sometimes, in the, the different ways of approaching the breath I went through, some of them were just about calmness, right? Just settling the attention, calming the mind. But then the other ones were about tuning into our emotions, our moods seeing the reflection, that's more investigative. So the calming in, inclines just towards that, that quieting, that stilling, that tranquilizing of the mind. And then seeing how the breath, what might be happening in our mood or our emotion, that's much, that gives us insight into our mental states. When I talked about um, observing the impermanence of the breath, the impermanence of the sensations, even the impermanence of this life, 
Now we're dealing with classic insight because classic insight observes the characteristic of change. Things are constantly changing. We're looking so carefully, so closely at experience as it is that we see it changing. So we can observe the rising of the belly, the pressure, the tingling, the heat, and not conceive of it as I am taking an in-breath. We can just observe it as changing pressures, tingling, heat, cold, pulsing, throbbing, all the vibrations that go through the movement. And then we're having, we can have insight into the changing nature of the body as well as the changing nature of the mind, the changing nature of feelings and of perceptions. So anytime we're um, investigating the nature of the mind and body, especially in relationship to impermanence, we're solidly in the camp of insight. And when we are emphasizing exclusively this calming, tranquilizing, just settling of the mind, then we might be emphasizing the characteristics of concentration. But in reality, aren't we doing both of those a bit all the time? You know, in most meditations, there's a blending of the two. And I don't think we have to, like, put strong barriers around uh, tranquility and insight. We can see that there's a blending and a mutual supporting and mutual development of these two forces. When I meet with students, I often listen for this. I listen when they tell me, uh, describe, I ask people what they do, what they notice in their meditation practice. I listen to hear whether or not there is both stability and insight happening. And fairly commonly, before people have come to insight, you know, in the first year or so of somebody's meditation practice, or if they come to one of our groups, the insight meditation groups, after having practiced in other traditions that don't have that insight component, very commonly they'll be able to calm and still their mind, sit down, observe the breath, but there's no wisdom that's coming out of it. There's no insight. It just feels good. It's not bad. It's great to feel good. It's great to be able to calm the mind. It's great to be able to focus, to settle. But this is a practice that can lead to liberation, that can unravel all of the ways that we distort our experience and conceive of things to be different than they actually are. So we can use this practice to unravel ignorance and to live with wisdom and in freedom. And so when I hear people speak about their practice, I listen for if there's a balance, if both are developing. And more commonly, people develop the the steadiness and the calmness and forget to give the attention to the changing nature of things or to the investigation of feelings or the uh, perceptions or the mind. And so that usually in talking with a teacher or in just coming regularly, you start to pick up, oh, there's both components, there's a balance. And you pick up something in it, you hear something in a Dharma talk, and you go home and you're interested in it. And that interest in it starts to make you look for that in your meditation practice, in your experience. And that starts to develop this investigative quality within the meditation, that reflection that leads to insight. Well, we're approaching 9 o'clock. I want to thank you for your attention. And I want to give you a little assignment because I want to treat these seven weeks as like a class. 
So I'm hoping that you'll take them as a class and come for seven weeks. Um, they're, they're drop-in, of course. You know, the door's open. You just come. And, but I want to give you an assignment anyway, just hoping that you'll do it. And it's to practice mindfulness with breathing. As simple as that. Not only when you're sitting in your meditation, but also maybe six or eight times during the day. I want you to feel a couple of breaths. If you take any elevator this week, I want you to feel your breath when you're in the elevator. You don't have to do anything weird. You don't have to take the lotus position in the elevator. Just feel the breath. And there's another time I'd like you to feel the breath. I'd like you to feel one breath before you start your car and before you stop your car. Oh, I guess you don't all use these keys anymore. Well, before you start your car, whatever you do to start your car, before you go anywhere in your vehicle, if you don't take a vehicle, if you don't drive and you take a bike, then before you get on your bicycle or before you get on your bus or your train. So before we engage in a movement, you know, going someplace else, just settle yourself with one or two breaths, conscious breaths. That's my assignment. I hope you take the challenge. (laughs) It's not hard to do, but it's going to be really hard to remember. (laughs) You might want to put a post-it note on your steering wheel. (laughs) See you next week. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.